But uh, with that, let me just lead in a word of prayer before we jump into our message this morning. God, we just pray for right now for just a spirit that allows us to receive. You know, as, as, as Jesus breathed on the, the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. God, we just want to pause now and allow you to pour yourself into us. Over and over again, Father, you invite us to have ears to hear. In these moments, we would ask you to give us those ears that we could hear. Bless the word as it comes forward today. Give us the ability to, to lock onto it and to pull it into our lives in a way that really changes us and transforms us. So we ask you today to speak as we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to start out this morning by telling you an experience I had here in this facility a number of years ago. We, we really hadn't been in the building for very long, maybe a year or two. And we were having Sunday services, much like this morning. And after the second service was over and the building was starting to empty out, I was making my way back down to my office. I usually unload my, unload my uh, microphone and that kind of stuff. And, and then I fill my pockets back up. You'll, I never have anything in my pockets because I would play with them the whole time. So everything goes. So my wallet's in my office. Please don't go steal it before I get out of here today. So I can try, if I can't trust this crowd, what crowd can I trust, right? So... I get back to my office. Am I off track now? My wife's there. <laughs> and I get back, and, there, and there's an older woman who was a regular attendant of our church there. And there was a younger woman with her, a young adult woman, uh, early, early 20s. And um, the older woman said to me, said, you know, do you have a minute? We'd love to visit with you. I said, great, come on in. So they came in, and they sat down on the couch, and I sat down in my office, and I said, well, what's going on? And the, and the older woman said, she, she, she wants to say the prayer. And I'm like, all right. Now, I'm enough of a Baptist to know what she was talking about. You know, she was referring to something we would call the sinner's prayer, right? This is a, a time in which we, we, we bow our heads and often we'll say, say to the person, repeat after me, you know, God, I, I recognize I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness because of what doesn't Christ on the cross, and I invite you to come into my life by faith, and I'm going to seek to live my life following after you, right? So the, the, the prayer. So I, you know, I said, all right. So I started having a little bit of a conversation with this younger woman, asking her some questions, just trying to figure out what was going on. And, and really, um, I really wasn't very satisfied with her answers. You know, I, it wasn't so much they were right or wrong, whatever, but they didn't, they didn't indicate, they didn't have the feel to them that she was really kind of interacting with the voice of God speaking into her life, the, the spirit of God speaking into her life. And, and so it, it, it was, you know, it was just kind of more mechanical or whatever, to, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was starting to get a little bit more kind of, and then, then this older woman said, well, you know, she, she looked at the younger woman and says, you know, you want to go to heaven, right? You want to say the prayer. And, and of course, the younger woman said, yeah, I, I do. So... You know, I bowed my head with her and said a prayer, and then I offered for her to pray after me, which she did, and then I celebrated the, the life that we could have in Christ, and et cetera, in our prayer, and we concluded, and they got up and left, and, um, and I never saw the young woman ever again. Even though she lived in our area, she, she never came back to Hope Chapel. As far as I know, I don't know if she ever went anywhere ever again. And, you know, and as I was making my way across the parking lot, I just had this, this uneasy, kind of awkward kind of feeling in my spirit. You know, and, and, and it, was, it was twofold. One was, I, I had a real concern for this young woman. You know, I, this, this woman, 
really could have walked out of our church building that morning and, and had the sense that no matter what happens now, I'm going to heaven. And I don't ever have to really think about God again or whatever, because I've prayed the prayer, I'm going to heaven. And, and that's not true, necessarily. And on the other end, I was really concerned about the way that, that this older woman and, and maybe many of us are actually presenting to the world what does it take to be a Christian. How do you actually become a Christian? You know, because it's interesting. You know, if you read through the Bible, never once does it tell you that you have to pray in order to become a Christian. Not once. Now, you'll see some words like believe and repent, but you never once see a word that says, and you've got to pray <laughs> a prayer that has point A, B, C, and D. And with that, you're a Christian. It never says that. Now, I think it's built on some good things, but it never... T- and, and, and with that, the, the whole idea of what does it really take, what does it mean? What, 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 what's involved with actually becoming a Christian? Somebody who follows that. What, what's involved in that? What does it really take? You know, and, and there's all kinds of notions floating around everywhere. One of the most common notions, right, maybe a lot of you have it, is that in order to become a Christian, you've got to go to church, right? So, you know, so we go to church. I don't really want to go to church. I'd rather stay home, and, you know, I get my leaves out of the way before the game starts this afternoon, and, you know, I gotta, but i got to go because, I, I, you know, I want to be a Christian, you know? And, you know, I hate to tell you this. I don't want to discourage your attendance in the future, but going to church is not going to make you a Christian. And this is a little bit frivolous, but no more so than sleeping in the garage is going to make you a car. Now, that's not original with me. I thought about this before. I said, you know, if I had two boys, I'm thinking that I could have both of them sleep in the garage. You know, and if, if sleeping in the garage would make them cars, maybe at least one of them would be a BMW, right? The other one could be a Kia. I don't care. Just as long as, you know. But it doesn't work that way. Going to church is not going to make you a Christian. You know, and we have all kinds of notions, right? I mean, some, some notions, and, 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 and I'm not being critical of that because w- w- the traditions I come out of are not necessarily any better than anybody else's. I mean, I grew up in a tradition that in order to become a Christian, you had to walk the aisle on Sunday morning, even though it terrified you to no end. You had to grab the pastor by the hand who was like nine feet taller than you, looking down at you, you know, and somehow or another he's going to say these words that we're going to, you know, and you're going to become a Christian. And then you get baptized. And you just hope the water was warm. And that's what, you know, that's what it meant to become a Christian. Other traditions are, you know what, you get baptized by specially prepared water, and then you go, you learn a certain truce, and you confirm all that stuff, and then you just take communion every week, and you're a Christian. Some others would tell you, you've got to have, a, you got to have faith in Christ, and then you've got to be more committed, more faithful, and do more things to impress God than at least, uh, you know, than 144,000 other people. In other words, you know, if you're not a part of the 144,000 if you're coming down the pecking order, if you're not at least at, at that number, then you don't get in. And the list just kind of goes on and on. You know, and, and so we have all this kind of confusion out there, but what does it really actually take to become a Christian? You know what? You've got, you got to figure out whether it's Malachi or Malachi, right? You know, it's one of those kinds of things. You know, or you've got to have the answers like, you know, where did Cain and Abel's wives came from? You know, you don't have that, you can't be, you know, we, we have all this kind of stuff, and, 
And, and we also get concerned about that when we get around to sharing our faith with other people, inviting people to become Christians. Like, I don't have all the, you know, I, I don't have all the answers for this stuff. You know, if somebody's asked me, was Paul a chauvinist, the apostle Paul a chauvinist, I don't know how to answer that question. You know, because he's the whole submit wives thing, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, say, none of that. I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that stuff's not important. It's preciously important. But none of that has anything to do with actually becoming a Christian. None of that is involved with inviting somebody to become somebody who is a Christian, to extend the gospel to them. None of that is involved. No, but we get caught up in all this stuff, and, 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 and it's not. How God has worked in human history is immensely complicated. That's why this book, sometimes it's pretty hard to figure out. But God did all of that, so the actual act of becoming a Christian is incredibly simple. Didn't say cheap, because it cost him, but it's incredibly Simple. And I want to share just what's involved in that. And, and, and here's why my passion this morning looking at this is, first of all, you know, when you're out there sharing the word, and we, we encourage you to get out there and invite people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want you, you know, do it in the right way. But more importantly, everything that we've been talking about in terms of the above and beyond God who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, all of that is absolutely rooted in the fact that we actually are Christians. <laughs> you know, this stuff about experiencing the power of forgiveness, God's forgiveness in our lives and the way it changes, it's all rooted in the fact that we actually are the children of God because we are Christians. So what does it take to become a Christian? And I want to use the most well-known verse probably in the entire world. It's John 3.16. Part of the reason is because most of you already got this memorized, right? You know, so I don't have to ask you to do anything new. And, you know, this is probably tonight the Patriots game. You'll see some guy with some cheesy piece of, you know, uh, uh, of uh, what do they call that? Cardboard paper, whatever, poster board. There we go. You know, it's going to say JN, whatever that means, right? And it's going to have a colon and then three, you know, 316, right? You know, it's, it's going to come up. This is the most famous verse in the scriptures, most well-known. I'd love for you to turn your Bibles and just follow along with me. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text on page 902. 902. And while you turn, this doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Jesus is beginning his public ministry, and he's drawn to He's come to the attention of the religious authorities. And, and one of the big shots, guy who's at, you know, he's at the Supreme Court level of Jewish theology, a guy by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night doesn't want to show up during the day because somebody might see him, <laughs> right? Just like Paul Revere rode, you know, at night so nobody would see him. <laughs> you know, Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. He shows up, you know what? He said, I, I, I can't figure you out, but I know that the stuff that you're doing couldn't happen unless you were sent from God. So, so, and he's kind of saying, what am I missing? And Jesus makes it really simple for him. He says, well, you've got to be born again. You know, I'm a little big, and my mom's a lot. How does that work? And Jesus begins to explain that things out. And then you get down here, and he talks about being born of the water, or water, born of the Spirit, that kind of thing. And, and then you get to verse 16. Now, in most of your Bibles, 
these letters are going to be in red if you have a red letter edition, which means that those who translate these into English understand that these words come out of the mouth of Jesus. I'm not so sure about that. I don't, it doesn't make any difference because I really believe it's still the word of God has equal authority and whatever. But I, I actually think these may be John's summary of what he's just heard John, Jesus teach. And he says, for God so loved the world. He gave his one. So let me back up for our translation. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We're going to come back to verse 16. Let me just read a couple more. So if you're following along, so in verse 16, John is explaining the agency by which God has provided eternal life. In verse 17, he understands why God's intent or purpose in sending his son. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God's intent in Christ is not to condemn, it's not to judge, it's not to crush, but it's to deliver, it's to rescue, right? Verse 18, and here's why we needed rescue. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Any of us who are sitting here this morning and don't believe in Jesus Christ, we are condemned. The people who live in our neighborhoods, the people who are part of our families, the people we work with, if they do not believe in Christ, the Scripture says their reality, their experience right now is that they are condemned. Okay? It's not something in the future. says that, But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Let me make a radical statement right here, and then we'll just kind of push it aside, and you're going to ask me out in the lobby later. You know, what, what sends you to hell quote, unquote, is not sin. It's not believing in Jesus. Now, some would say, well, that's really the only unforgivable sin, and I would agree with them, is not believing in Jesus. But what sends us to to hell, what makes us condemnable is not the fact that we sin. It's that we don't believe in Jesus. That's the source of our condemnation, condemnation, is we do not believe in the name of the one and only Son of God. So let's talk about what does it really take to become a Christian. And let's look at verse 16. And here, I I know this is very simple, but God has worked in so many layers of human history, working out his eternal plan, also that can be literally just this simple for us. And it boils down to that you and I need to know two things and do one thing in order to have the thing that all of us really want, which is eternal life. And here's the first thing that we need to know. The two things that you and I need to know, the first of those is that God loves. For God so loved the world. In order for us to become Christians, we need to understand that God loved us. The world here is, is, represents everybody who's a part of the planet. In the past, in the present, and in the future. It's all of us. God loved the world. And because God never changes, God still loves, right? He's always loved. He, he loves now, and he's always going to love. God loves us, and therefore, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn us, but to rescue us. God's heart is to deliver us, not to throw us aside. You know, the imagery is, 
you know, and you could probably watch this a number of Sundays, right? You know, as, as you, if you just stood outside with your coffee, whatever, and you watch people come in, they, they head out the door and they got their little two or three-year-old with them, right? You know, and then as soon as they get outside, the two and three-year-old, you know, they, 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 they just want to escape for the playground, or they want to run for the car or whatever, and the kid takes off. As soon as the parent turns a corner and they get this big smile on them, and the parent goes chugging after them. It's not because they want to knock them down and jump on top of them. And they, what, why? They don't want them to get run over in the parking lot. I mean, we've got teenage drivers around here, right? You know, I'm just kidding. They're probably safer. They've got faster reflexes than the rest of us. But, you know, they, the reason we run after them is because we want to protect them. We want to rescue them. We want to save them. It's because we care. God loves us. And we need to understand that God, in order to become a follower of Christ, to become a Christian, we need to understand God loves us. And he loved us enough that he gave his only son. That's the second thing we've got to know, that God loved and that God gave. That God loved and God gave. gave God gave his one and only son. That's where salvation starts to get a lot more complicated. You get into substitutionary atonement and all these kinds of things and the cross and the cross that Christ died on doesn't look anything like this one. You know, that kind of, it, it's, it's, you know, but it's that God gave his one and only son, to die on a cross in our place. But what we need to know is that God gave his one and only son. And John draws it out. He just doesn't say his son. He says his one and only son, and he creates this connection. Because it's not just, you know, where most of us will stumble in our journey of knowing that God loved and that God gave is that we will have an insufficient view of Christ, and that view of Christ will never lead us to a place of salvation. Christ is not just the greatest moralist that ever lived on the world and the planet. He's not the guy who just, he's just the the human teacher that brought human ethics to a level that nobody else has before. He's not that. That's part of what he did, but that's not him. Jesus isn't just the greatest miracle worker, right? He's not just the best person who's ever lived on the planet. He's not just the greatest teacher, the master teacher, or or the model who shows us the ways that the world can be a better place. Jesus is the Son of God. Somehow or another, all the human molecules of Jesus also have the divine imprint on them. And somehow they're both divine and human. He's absolutely unique. He is the only Son of God, and He was given... For us, and as we're going to learn, in the, remember in a few minutes, and then he turned around and gave himself for us. We need to know that God loves us, and he proved his love that he gave the absolute unique being in the entire world, in the entire universe, Jesus Christ, the only one who was fully God and fully man. I can't explain it. I'm just grateful that it's not required in order for us to become a Christian is to be able to explain all of it. Now, so now we know that God loves and God gave. So what are we going to do? Well, You've you, you got to memorize the 66 books of the Bible. It's not what it says. Right? It, 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 it's, it's not like you're going to be able to somehow create a harmony in the chronologies between First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Because that'll keep you up awake, awake at night if you're a seminary student, you've got to pass a test the next day. But you don't need to know that. 
What, what does it take for you and I? What's our response? What do we have to do to this knowledge that we have that God loved and God gave? And the scripture simply says that we need to believe. We need to believe. Now, we've got to do a little bit of unpacking here for us because we look at the word believe and, and we can say, okay, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. All right, great. That's going to get you one question correct on your history test. But it's not going to change your world. That, that's not the kind of belief that the Scripture is inviting us to. The, actually, the little Greek word inside of there, pisteo, actually means to trust in. And it actually has a specific direction of trusting in somebody else. Right? I think it's one of the reasons why Jesus uses his relationship between himself and his church to, to be a picture of the relationship that we have with him, the relationship that a husband and wife have for one another, because in that relationship, we're really saying, I'm trusting in this other person in a way that I trust in nobody else. So I'm trying to picture, what does it mean for you and I to trust in Christ? And I don't want to oversimplify, but I think this is really powerful stuff. You know, let's just... Use this stool that Rob was sitting on, right? Let's think about this as Jesus, okay? Now, the Bible doesn't say that we need to kneel down and pray to Jesus. Jesus, you know, my best friend that I haven't seen in 10 years, well, his brother's best friend related to his cousin on his mother's side, the third time, got, got a pinky toe that hurts. Can you heal it? It's not, it's not what it asks us to do. I'm being frivolous, right? It doesn't ask us to, to herald it. Say, Brian, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. It's not asking us to do that. It's not asking us to examine it. 14 inches. 29 and an eighth. I think that's an eighth. You know, it's not asking us to do that. It's not asking us to dive in. It's not asking us to try to make Jesus look good. Right? Let's, let's, let's build Jesus a really nice house to You know, big fancy church building and all the fancy technology or big cathedrals and all that kind of stuff. He's not asking us to do any of that stuff. When he's simply saying, trust in, believe in, he's simply saying, you know what? Just rest completely on Christ. And some of you, you know the Bible enough to say, you know, I know in John 1, like John 3.16, it says, you know, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. To, to as many as believed in his name. I understand it says that. I know that over in Acts, in chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer is all impressed because the earthquake has thrown all the doors open and it's knocked all the chains off and no, no prisoners have left the, the jail and, and, and he runs into Paul and Silas and said, what do I got to do to be saved? And he says, believe in the name of the Lord. But, but, I know that on Acts chapter 2 when Peter received the Holy Spirit, and they're preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem. He says, you've got to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus because you've been forgiven in Jesus. So what's that with? This is, this is repentance. When I stand, I believe in myself. I'm trusting in myself. I'm resting on myself. When I repent, I trust in Jesus. That's repentance. Now, a lot of us, this is the way we're trying to live. You know, I, I want to rest on the Jesus piece when it comes to heaven, forgiveness, 
joy, hope, peace, all that kind of stuff. But man, when it comes to a lot of the other parts of my life, my career, my finances, my relationships, my sexuality, the list could just go, I, I, I want to lift this way. No, 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 no. Trust in Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? We get to experience eternal life. That's not quantitative. That's qualitative. All life is eternal. It's whether you're going to experience it having been forgiven and therefore not judged, not condemned. So some are going to, because they have not believed, trusted in Christ, are going to live all of eternity. They're going to live forever under condemnation. But Jesus offers us life. This doesn't mean that you have to show up to church every single time the doors open. Though I'd like to see you every week. It doesn't mean that you have to become the greatest biblical scholar of everybody you know. It's not, it doesn't mean that you're going to become the, the most committed, active believer you know, the biggest problem. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that you're going to be born again in Christ, and this new life is going to take root. And it's going to start merging itself out in your life, loving the way that God loves. It's going to bear all things, hope all things, endures all things. It's not going to return. You're going to start emerging in your life as peace, and joy, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control. God gives us a new life. Not one that's eternal. It's already eternal. He gives us a new life that lasts for eternity. And that's the thing we all want to have, if you've got any sense at all. So God's invitation to us, he did all the stuff in history, you know, from Abraham and Adam and Eve, and then all the Moses, the law, you know, the, the, all the prophets and the exiles, et cetera, the 400, days, 400 years of silence, and Mary and Joseph and the angels, and the, you know, all, he did all that stuff so they could boil down to simply say, we've got to know that God loves us, and God has given to us. And if we will believe, we will have eternal life. So my question to us today, to you and to me, is do we really trust in Christ? Do you trust in Christ? Do you know that God loves you and has given his only son for you and out of that, you have responded to the Spirit's work in your life, and you have believed, you have trusted in Christ. Because that's what it takes to become a Christian. Now, there's a lot of other stuff that flows from that. All of that is out of the picture until that moment. And so my invitation to you today is to believe. To believe. I, I believe that God is using our service this morning to speak through his spirit and draw people to his heart and to say, you know what? I need to believe. I need to trust in Jesus. Forget all the other trimmings that the church usually throws about doing this and memorizing passages and taking this and being bad. Believe. So I want to invite you for just a moment to pray with me. I'd invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to give you some things to think about here for just a moment as we go through this journey, and then we'll come to the Lord's table today. 
Do you know today that God loves you? Do you see God as angry and is kind of trying to catch it or whatever? Or do you know that God loves you? doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you're doing in this moment. God loves you. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God has given his son for you and for me, for all of us, that he's given his son for us? Not just some great, he's not just some great idea, a great philosophy, a great ideal, that he is the son of God, given for us. You know that today. Do you trust in Christ? Do you have both feet off the floor, all your weight, all of your life resting in Christ? Do you believe? Do you trust in Christ today? And if not, you can. You don't have to say any magical words. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to get out your, your Bible and read so many things. You, you can right now, as the Spirit is prompting in your life, to say, I step from unbelief to belief right now. I trust in Christ. I invite you to trust in Christ today. God, thanks for working in human history, doing what is, is incredibly complicated, in some ways it defies our ability to even describe it, make the greatest transaction in human history incredibly simple, just to know that you've loved us, that you are loving us, and that you will live us, will love us. And with that, you've given your son, who stands having been crucified, who stands having been buried, who stands having been resurrected and ascended, that we might have new life in him. And today, as Father, as you empower us, as you call us, as you convict us, as you guide us, whatever terms we want to use, however you're just speaking to our hearts, God, we today trust in Christ, become Christians. God, for the first ones, for the ones who are making that decision today for the very first time, never, ne- never really heard it. Ne- just you know, go to church, do your thing, be a good person, etc. The ones who say, I need to believe. God, I just pray you'd swamp them with the new life that comes in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the gift of eternal life, a new relationship with you, a new way of doing life, a new love and joy and peace and hope and patience and kindness and goodness that floods within us. 
new kind of love, a new way of looking at people. God, thanks for all that stuff that floods into us because of Christ. And we trust in him and pray in his name. Amen.